0: Hello, everybody. So for me, I've been thinking about, um, while I've been preparing this um, preach, I've been thinking about this moment, and now I'm thinking about the fact that it's actually arrived, <laughs> and how petrified I am. <laughs> um, yo, so i it's actually getting warm in here. So um, I think this morning um, Dave Grewer preached on um, ev- that everybody gets to play. So um, tonight I'm actually going to be preaching on the gifts of the Spirit. Um, and I do this with such trepidation because um, I know that um, I have a, a gracelet of uh, the prophetic that comes, yeah, in, uh, that comes on me in different times, and um, I'm not the only one that has that. We are all a kingdom of priests, and we all need to be operating in that. So, <clears throat> um, I'm going to speak on the fact that we have access to power. Just bear with me because I'm going to be telling you. Um, a few stories, but you will see how they come to you, um, how how it all culminates at the end, okay? So, over 400 years ago, Israel was subject to Egypt. They were in slavery, they were being treated really cruelly, and they were in desperate need of rescuing. Up until then, God had seemed far off to them, but still they cried out to be saved. And then one day, Moses comes upon this burning bush and it's the presence of God that has come to earth to rescue his people. He heard their cry and Moses asks, who are you? Because he had known, he had grown up in Egypt. So he had only known um, the fact that they worship many gods, but he didn't know this God. He hadn't met him before. So God says to him, my name is Yahweh, which means the present becoming one. It means that God is here and we have his presence here, but there's more to come. It means that he is, uh, that, that he who was, who is, and who is to come. He always was there and he's more to come and he's present with us now. And although We have lived lives from the beginning with the Israelites. We have lived unfaithful lives towards God. He has remained utterly faithful from the beginning of time. So God's initial plan was for Israel to passively evangelize the world by showing God's power, not theirs. And I think that we can so often go around trying to um, do things in our own strength, um, have a sense of our own thing that God has given us, but actually, and you know what, I think for my entire life, I've actually wanted to be quite special. I don't know about you. (laughs) I wanted to be special, but I've had to come to this horrible revelation and realization that I'm really not. (laughs) And I'm no special than anybody else. I have nothing better than anybody else. God has called us all. He called the Israelites, all of them, to show God's power so that the rest of the world would actually be drawn to Him. That was the plan. And then Israel failed. But I have this dream for the church. When I look at what God wanted from Israel and the fact that we need to passively evangelize the world, I have this dream of a church that operates in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that shows God's power. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's, the, the church is growing, but there have been a lot of people coming from other churches. There haven't been many people being saved from unbelievers, from not knowing God at all. And I just feel like if we operated in the way that we meant to operate as a church, the way that we are meant to show God's power, the way that we understand what we carry, I believe that more and more people would come to know Jesus because of that. We are meant to live under God's rule in our lives and spiritual gifts should be a natural part of who we are and how we live our lives. But we are yet to live our lives as rulers. So I've heard many sermons about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and um, it's taken from one Corinthians 12 where they're all listed. And the gifts of the Spirit are for the common good. Okay, we get gifts for other people. The gifts that God gives us—it's not for us; it's actually for building up the church and for loving people. So he, um, in 1 Corinthians 12, it mentions wisdom, I'm going to have to speak louder, hey, this rain's amazing, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, discernment, speaking in different tongues, interpretation of tongues. And I don't know about you, but if you've like um, wanted a specific gift, sometimes it just doesn't work like that. But I believe that we have access to all of them all the time. And that verse carries on in verse 11 to say all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one as He determines, not us. I loved, I was reading a book called Gift and Gifts of the Holy Spirit um, that was written by Derek Morphew and another guy that I can't remember, sorry to that person, but um, he says that, he repeats a saying that John Wimber said about the gifts, and he said, Um, about distributing to them as he determines, that it's the dancing hand of God. And I love that, the dancing hand of God. There's no pattern or formula. And I think we try to catch onto this formula, but there isn't one. There's no pattern. God gives these gifts as he determines. So I'm just gonna tell you a few stories. I'm gonna go through a little bit of the Bible, but it's gonna come together at the end. So Elijah and Elisha, back in the day, in the ancient in ancient times, um, they operated in signs and wonders. At the time, oh thank you. (laughs) So husbands are four. This is my husband Brian. Thanks, darling. (laughs) Yeah. Ah, thanks, darling. Okay. So there was this terrible drought, um, and people were running out of water and supplies. And I love the fact that Elijah trusted God so intensely that he trusted God for his food and for everything, for his provision. So he was uh, camping out and living near a river, and God was feeding him, sending ravens to feed him meat in the mornings and, and in the evenings that amazing? And then eventually, the river dries up, and then there's no more food. So God, he he only moves when God tells him to move. So God sends him to a place called Zarephath, Zarephath, where he instructs a widow to feed him. But only when Elijah gets there, he, um, he hears the widow say that she has nothing to give him. She's only got one little jug of oil and one little bowl of flour left and she was literally collecting sticks to um, make a last meal for her and her son because they knew that beyond this they were going to die. So Elijah says, make food for me. Hearing this and seeing her um, do this, uh, make food for me but don't worry because the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day that the Lord sends rain and that is exactly what happened. The region is still without rain, and Elijah has just shown God's incredible power by going head-to-head with the prophets of Baal, and uh, to see which God is more powerful, and you know the story how, um, you, my word, (laughs) can you hear me? (laughs) You know the story when um, Elijah gets on top of the mountain, and for like the whole day, they, the prophets of Baal are dancing around the place, cutting themselves, singing, trying to get their sacrifice to um, burn up. And then all Elijah does, in fact, he starts to taunt them. He goes, maybe your God's asleep. Where is he? Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's gone on holiday, he says. And then all he does is... He, he, gets every, he gets the guys to wet his sacrifice, completely wet it all the way through, and then he just prays this prayer. He says, answer me, Lord, Yahweh, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, Yahweh, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And what happens? This fire shoots from heaven, and just burns up everything. After that, Elijah runs, he goes up onto the top of a mountain with his servant, and he bends down into this um, prayerful position that I can't get into with his head between his knees. And sometimes prophets do funny things, hey? And I think he's down in that that, um, position for I don't know how long, The, the Bible doesn't tell us, but he keeps sending his servant to go and look for clouds. And he says, go and, and see. And the servant goes and says, there's nothing. And again and again and again. Eventually, the seventh time, the servant sees the cloud the size of a fist. And then Elijah says to him, um, heavy rains are on their way. Then um, it says in uh, 1 Kings eighteen forty six, the power of the Lord came on Elijah after that And tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, you need to know that Ahab was on a horse and Elijah was on foot. So how would you like that as a spiritual gift to run really, really fast, like flash or Zoom? Have you seen Zoom? Do you guys know Zoom? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that's hilarious. He tucks his cloak in and off he goes and you just see dust. But I'm just amazed at what God does and how he does it. Then um, Elisha becomes Elijah's servant, and he goes everywhere with him. And after some time, Elijah is about to be taken into heaven. They walk to the Jordan River past a crowd of people, and uh, Elijah takes off his cloak, and he rolls it up, and he strikes the water twice. And the water's split open like Moses did for the Israelites, The water split open, and Elijah and Elisha walk across um, the dry riverbed to the other side. And when they get there, Elijah says to Elisha, what is it that that I can do for you before I'm taken? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirit. And then as Elijah's taken up, his cloak falls, and Elisha picks it up and rolls it up and hits the Jordan River twice, and it splits, and he's able to walk through on dry land And the um, witnesses say the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. Elisha was Elijah's successor. It was a succession that came from the one to the other. Since their rescue from Egypt, Israel failed in their ability to to uphold the first commandment, which is, you shall have no other gods before me. The presence of God had left Israel and they had just endured 400 years of silence. Can you imagine that? 400 years of not hearing from God. No prophets, no prophets were speaking. There was just absolute silence and separation from God. Then suddenly, Jesus arrives and he arrives announcing that the kingdom is here. To repent because the kingdom of God is near. The presence of God has arrived. He says, Repent. And believe the good news. In quick succession, Jesus is baptized, he's taken into the wilderness um, uh, where he fasted and prayed and overcame temptation, and then he begins to call his disciples who follow him immediately. And then Jesus begins preaching in the synagogues. Mark 1 verse 22 says, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. And while he's preaching in a synagogue, a a man who was possessed by an evil spirit cries out, asking Jesus if he's come to destroy them. With authority, Jesus says, be quiet, come out of him. And the man shook, and with a shriek, the demon left him. And I think if something like that had to happen, I mean, why isn't it happening? But I just think that we... Are so filled with fear, and there's too much fear in us instead of actually knowing that we have the authority of Christ in us. That is way beyond anything that the enemy can throw at us. We fear what we don't know instead of taking up authority. And then Jesus had an urgency to go from town to town where he preached the good news to people. He had healed the sick, he cast out demons. Um, raised the dead, and God showed um, his power by calming storms, by walking on water. And people began to realize that a prophet operating in signs and wonders, like Elijah and Elisha, had come. And there was something in that, the presence of God was back. When Jesus said, repent and believe the good news, believe the good news, he meant Turn your hearts back to God. That's what repent means. Turn. Turn your hearts back to God. That God's presence is again with his people. And that we are made in God's image to rule and to have authority over sin, sickness, demons, death, and creation, just like Jesus did. Jesus is taken to the cross and he dies in our place. He's taking on the judgment of the entire world. Can you imagine how Jesus felt in that moment? He he was he was dying. Instead of us taking on our judgment forever, all of the things that we should be judged for, he took on himself. And then at his death, this curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom, and it was an act of God, and previously only the priests were allowed beyond that curtain. And when that curtain tore, it gave us access to the presence and the power of God. After three days, Jesus rises from the dead and begins to gather his disciples once again and gives them hope and knowledge of a risen king. Just before Jesus ascends to heaven, he delivers this message from Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. I think you've got that on. Great, thank you. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He also said to his disciples before he ascended in Acts 1 verse 4 to 5 and uh, verse 8, he said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power. I'm going to say that again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We will receive power to witness And that power that we receive to witness is the power that will attract people to the kingdom of God. (coughs) And if you remember the succession that I spoke about from Elijah to Elisha, as Jesus ascended, that succession was from Jesus to us. We have everything, we have access to all the power that Jesus had. Isn't that amazing? I don't, I don't know if we can actually even contemplate that deeply enough, that we have access to the power that Jesus had. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, um, yeah, the disciples began to pray. As you know, Pentecost, if you don't know, let me tell you the story. They, they prayed constantly for days until one day the sound of like a uh, blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. It seemed like tongues of fire were resting on people. When the Holy Spirit comes, a transformation happens within us. And the Holy Spirit brings it. If you think of Peter, let's put ourselves in his shoes. So um, Peter vows never to leave Jesus. And Jesus says to him, actually, what you are gonna do is you're gonna deny me three times before the rooster crows this day. And Peter was like, what are you talking about? I would never do that. And then when Jesus is, um, is captured and he's going to be crucified, Peter denies him three times. And on the third time, he hears the rooster crow and he remembers. And in Luke um, 22, it says that as Peter denied Jesus for the third time and the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what he went through? They locked eyes, and Jesus knew what Peter had just done, and Peter knew what he had done. But the amazing thing is the forgiveness of Jesus, because if you read through each of the Gospels, they highlight something completely different over that time. And the angels at the tomb say one redeeming sentence for Peter to the woman that came to the tomb in Mark 16, and it says, he has risen, he's not here. See the place that I have laid him, that they laid him. And then they say to the woman, "But go tell his disciples and Peter. And I love that he was um, picked out because God knew that Peter needed to hear his name. Peter is a man transformed, a man who denied Jesus three times and a man who now stands up as the leader of the 12. That's what God has placed in us. When we have the Holy Spirit, we are changed and transformed into new people. The disciples now knew from cutting off somebody's ear in the garden of Gethsemane, from asking God childish questions like who's gonna sit on the right and the left, now they understand, they take on the nature of Christ and they understand that they have authority the next chapter begins. So it was all about Jesus. First of all, Old Testament, then all about Jesus, and now the disciples have taken over. They understand that the succession has come from Jesus to them. In Acts 8, I'm just gonna go through a few. Philip is in Samaria, and he proclaimed the message there. When they heard um, what Philip was saying, and, and they saw the signs, they paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A city has changed. Samaria is changed because of a man that is preaching that the kingdom of God, God's presence, is here. It's here with us, and it's here to heal and to set free, to set us free. In Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Acts 8 talks about Philip But um, God gives Philip a direction uh, to go, and as Philip's going, he meets up with this Ethiopian eunuch and manages to give him the gospel, to to tell him the gospel, then baptizes him, and then he's taken away somewhere else. Nobody, he didn't uh, see him again. Then Acts 9 tells us that Peter raises a woman called Tabitha from the dead. Acts 14, Paul calls a layman from birth and says to him, stand up on your feet, The man immediately jumps up and begins to walk. After witnessing all these things, the Bible says, many were added to their number. And this is the thing, when we access God's power, that's when many will be added to our number. And when we have to stop thinking thoughts like, I don't want the church to get big, or I I like it the way it is, or whatever it is. We need to have embracing hearts, hearts that embrace people who didn't know Jesus to come in because now they know they're part of the family and they are loved. We have access to that power. We are the next chapter. God's presence brings power and gives us the ability to witness boldly and prophetically and to operate in signs and wonders. Do you know that you have access to that kind of power. You have access to power to operate in signs and wonders and to be prophetic. These things should not really be referred to as supernatural because they need to be a natural part of how we live as Christians. How how far away do you think we are from that? (laughs) It would be wonderful to be close, hey? Acts 2 verse 17 to 21 says in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Age is not a criteria. The young will see visions and the old will dream dreams. Whether we are male or female is not a criteria. It's the same Holy Spirit poured out on all of us. The color of our skin is not a criteria. God created all of us in his image. I was thinking about what hinders us from accessing the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I didn't look this up anywhere. I really just thought of it for myself and asked, and asked God, what hinders us? And I think the first thing that hinders us is that is what we believe are about our identity. When the disciples stood up, they understood their identity in Christ. They knew who they were and they understood their authority. The second thing I believe is a hindrance is our lack of love for one another. And the third thing that I believe is a hindrance is our unity. So in the New Testament, they were not only announcing the kingdom and the presence of God. The presence of God is here all the time. He's in us. We are in him and he is in us. They were operating in the power of the Holy Spirit and they understood their identity. We are a kingdom of priests. Every single one of us, nobody is more special than anybody else. We are all called to minister to each other. We are all called to be witnesses. We are all called to prophesy, to heal, to do all of these things that God wants us to do. And knowing our identity in Christ is incredibly important. Romans Romans 6 verse um, 3 to 14, I'm not going to read it, but it basically says this. That we were buried with Jesus through baptism. We were raised like Jesus into new life. Uh, we are united with Jesus in a death. We are also united with him in a, in a resurrection like his. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have been set free. We are dead to sin but alive in Christ. We are not under law. We are under grace. And you know what I think the problem is? That we don't believe that. We don't fully believe that, because if we did fully believe that, we would understand our authority in Christ. So if you've got a pen or pencil or a phone or whatever, write down Romans 6, verse 3 to 14. Just write that down and go through that, go through that scripture again and again, and and say, I was buried with Jesus through baptism. I was raised like Jesus into a new life. I am united with Jesus in a death. I'm also united with him in a re- resurrection like his. I am no longer a slave to sin. I have been set free. Not, I, I am dead to sin but alive in Christ. I'm not under law, I'm under grace. And we just keep saying that to ourselves so that we understand that that's who we are in Christ Colossians 3 verse 10 says, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, uh, renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Let me say that again. You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Okay, so this verse is telling us to put on the new self. That takes work. It takes work to put something new on. We Sometimes people are transformed Straight away. But other times we have to really work at it. We get lost in mind battles, like thinking that God gives his gifts to others and not to us, thinking that we're not good enough or we're not worthy, comparing ourselves to somebody else and thinking their gift looks better than ours. The Bible talks in 1 Corinthians 12 about the gifts of the Spirit and 1 Corinthians 14 about speaking in tongues and prophecy. Smack bang in the middle is 1 Corinthians 13. What is that about? Love. 1 Corinthians 13 is about love. Doesn't matter. all these things are like clanging symbols if we don't have love. Using a spiritual gift is like immersing somebody in God's love. God, if you um, think of this love pouring down all the time, when we prophesy, when we heal, when we do all of things, it's like stepping into God's love for that person and uh, doing, listening to him and doing what needs to be done, saying what needs to be said. I think very often with um, the prophetic, uh, we often say our words too much uh, when it's actually just about God's words. What is God saying? I think sometimes we think we have to give these long pro- pro- prophecies or long prophetic words. When all God wants is for us to go up to somebody. I think once I looked at somebody, and um, during a service, and I felt God said to me, "Tell her that I'm massaging her heart." And I was like, "I can't do that." And I was like, "Yo, okay." And then I went, "Okay, God, if I see her, because I know from Bar of Soap, if I see her at the end of the service, if like I walk past her or whatever, just remind me if it's if this is of you." And I'm going out of the church. And um, she happens to be standing right at the door. (laughs) I was like, oh, my word, okay. And so I went up to her and I just said, I don't know if this means anything, but God just wants me to tell you that he's massaging your heart. She breaks down into tears and she says to me, last night I told God to take out my heart because it's so hard. So we don't know what God is doing in, in the hearts of people. We don't know what's happening in that moment, but God knows And all she needed was one sentence, not our words beyond that, because we think we know what's going on in that person's life, but actually we don't. But God knows exactly what they need to hear. Um, A while ago, I asked God to help me because I just realized, you know, people can pick up when when we don't love them, when we're just acting apart. People know. And um, we had supported this uh, church plant for Um, many years. And in the beginning, we had people um, coming in every Sunday, visitors. And it was hard because, you know, you look around for like a leader, but then you realize you're it. There's nobody else that's going to talk to this new person and make them feel welcome, you know. And eventually, I just realized that I didn't love people enough. So um, I started praying about 10 years ago. I just said, God, show me how to love people like you love people, and um, he took me to the second commandment that says, love your neighbor as yourself, and I realized that I didn't really love myself so much, Um, I came face to face with who I really was in my heart, I saw my judgment, I saw comparison, um, and I saw that I just lacked true love for other people because I wasn't loving them with God's love. And the amazing thing is that when we look in the mirror, we don't see the outside of what we look like as much as we know what's happening on the inside of us. So when we look at the mirror and we can say, I like you, it generally means that our hearts are in the right place, that we can actually like ourselves or love ourselves because we understand that we're loving people. Jesus said in John 13, verse 34 to 35, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, we've seen how you know people with slightly different belief systems or whatever, there's judgment and there's separation. But actually just understanding that at the end of the day, if we all love Jesus and love people, it will bridge many gaps. In unity, where there is, there's a verse, I can't remember where it is, but it says, where there is unity, God commands a blessing. When we worship together, it unifies us because our hearts um, are for others. Love for one another unifies us when we're thinking good thoughts about each other. You know, we come to church with and we and we live lives with such insecurity that um, we don't get past what's happening inside of us because we're too busy looking at what's happening inside of us instead of actually looking at others and going, God, what do you what do you want to say to that person? What do you want to say to anybody in this room tonight? And use me in this process. Use me to speak your heart to people. Um, I think that was um, brought about such change uh, in my life when I realized and understood that when that thing changed, that mindset of when I come here to church, I'm not here for me, I'm here to build other people up and allow them to know and understand God's love for them. Honoring others above ourselves unifies us. And loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength unifies us. God first. Love God, love people. <clears throat> if you've got me on WhatsApp, I think I, I think I put that on my WhatsApp status about, or bio, whatever it is, about 10 years ago, and I've, it will never, ever change. Love God, love people. During the week, it's about spending time with Jesus Reading scripture, asking God who needs to be encouraged through this, messaging them, visiting people, seeing them, and pouring God's love over others. When we come together on a Sunday, I would just love to see such a hive of activity. I would love to see us all coming in with our hearts for other people, saying, God, what do you want to say to people here? During worship, there's just this incredible hive of activity. One person going to another. It doesn't all have to happen up front here. One person going to another and Prophesying over them, praying for that person, just giving that person a hug, just giving that person the one word that God told you, and it just doesn't stop. It's just a hive, people, and then people leave here feeling utterly loved and soaked in God's presence because of what, because we were obedient to His word in that moment. We have access to His power, and there are no shortcuts. So we try to. Um, put time with God on a back burner, but the more we know his voice, the more we know him and know his voice, the more we'll hear him speak to us in those moments. The more we understand that that's God's voice, we'll know and understand what he's saying to other people. As we speak to each other, we choose to love the person that we're speaking to and God tells us something on, put something on our heart for that person and they're encouraged and they feel loved by God. We need a desire gifts to see others set free. We cannot change people or save people as much as we would love to. I would love to be God's to I see and like say a word and someone's saved. Or say a word and someone's healed. Or, or like Peter, walk past someone and my shadow heals them. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be incredible? I'd be like, yo. Oh. amazing. I loved, um, I was listening to Derek Morphew preach and he said he had prayed for somebody and he put his hands on them and they flipped back and like were saying in the spirit and they were speaking in tongues for like a couple of hours. And he said he went like this. (laughs) It's like he couldn't, he goes, he knew it wasn't him, but he was like, yo, (laughs) that's pretty cool. Oh no. That the fact is we can't change people, but God can. The Holy Spirit changes everything. If we want to see a community change and life flowing through us, we need the Holy Spirit's power. So we're going to go into worship in a moment. And I just want to encourage you tonight. I'm going to pray now. If you have never been filled with the Holy Spirit and you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, please come up and ask for prayer during worship. If you want any kind of prayer, if you want us to lay our hands on you and pray for you, come, we'll pray for you. And it's nothing that you need to be afraid of because I think it's one of these natural things, the way that we need to live, loving Jesus and loving people. And I also just want to encourage you as we go into a time of worship, let's do that thing. Let's not worship for ourselves. Let's not be here for ourselves tonight. Let's be here for each other. As we go into a time of worship, ask God who he wants to encourage and go and give that person God's love tonight. No pressure, but if you feel like God is doing something in your heart tonight, just go and encourage people with God's love. Let's pray. Holy Spirit come. Holy Spirit, won't you come in your power in the presence. We just want more of you, Jesus. And I pray tonight, as we go into a time of worship, Lord, I just pray that each one of us would look around, and that you would give us words of encouragement, of wisdom, of prophecy, of knowledge. That you would, as we lay hands on each other, God, that people would be healed who need to be healed. People would be changed that tonight would be the beginning of the rest of, of our lives. And I just pray, God, for those, I just feel like um, some of you have felt dead. And you've felt dead for a long time. And in Ezekiel, it talks about the dry bones coming to life. And it's God's army coming to life. And I just believe that God wants to place a new flesh, new heart into you. And all you need to do is surrender. And when I say all you need to do is surrender, it's the very hardest thing to do because it means giving up control. We don't have control, but God is in control. And I just pray, Father, won't you revive hearts tonight? Won't you allow people to come alive? Allow us to come alive in you, in a new way, in an incredible way in the beauty of who you are and how we love each other. We just want to give you all the glory, want to honor your name, want to praise you tonight, Lord, and thank you for all that you are, all that you've done, and all that you are going to do. You are Yahweh, God with us, present, becoming one. And we are grateful that we know you.